It reminds me of Betty was in labor, and they're like, okay, you count. You know, like, while she's... So I'd be like, one, two... Yeah, count faster! <laughs> <laughs> to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. I'm Joe Dorowski. And today we are visited again by... Kirsty Christensen. Hello! You're back. <laughs> I am back. I and think you have the uh, the title for Most Frequent Guest. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And tonight's an exciting night because we are all sitting in the same room. Yes. It's a very rare occurrence for us to actually be able to make eye contact and say, I want to say something next. Instead, <laughs> we start talking over each other, usually. <laughs> it's a skill we're learning. Yeah. So uh, so we're very excited to be together this week. And uh, we are discussing Lizzie Bennett from the 2005 film Pride and Prejudice. This has been on Joe's <laughs> short list from the beginning. Yes. Uh, this film was directed by Joe Wright with a screenplay by Deborah Magach. I have no idea how to pronounce it, so... Sorry, Deborah, if you're listening. <laughs> She's a big fan. Deborah Mugash. <laughs> Lizzie Bennett was played by Kira Knightley. It is, uh, tonight, like, as we're recording this, it's game three of the NBA Finals, so of course we're going to talk about Lizzie Bennett for an hour here. <laughs> <laughs> what else would nerds do? <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, and you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Does anyone have an MP3 player? Should we drop that from the ad read? No, we leave it in. Okay. <laughs> there's holdouts. <laughs> there's, there's people who are late adopters. Yes. There are people who are cutting it on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a little bit of trivia about this version of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, the film has an 85% fresh rating on RottenTomatoes.com, which I would not have guessed after I asked people to give some feedback on Facebook. <laughs> Apparently this film was divisive amongst my fans, really? uh, or my, my friends on, on Facebook. A lot of people are not fans of Keira Knightley's version of Lizzie Bennett. Aww. We'll talk some about that. Uh, this, um, there's a story that Joe Wright, when he was... Um, hired to direct this film and was casting that someone had suggested Kara Knightley for the role of Lizzie Bennett. But he said at first, like she heard the story later that he said, no, she's too pretty. I want like this to be a very down to earth and like a dirty Regency world. I don't want this to be all gussied up and pretty. And then she did her screen test. He said, Oh, she'll work great. <laughs> she said she wasn't sure how to take that. <laughs> um, and yeah, as I said, uh, the whole goal of this was to, um, Joe Wright wanted to differentiate it from the BBC, um, the very famous BBC yes. five hour version that he felt that one was too. The 1995 yeah, version. There's it, been more than one BBC version. True. I should clarify. Yeah, but he felt that one was too pristine and clean. And so he wanted this to be a very, I mean, it's kind of the Star Wars term, a very lived in world for, uh, the Regency era. Um, this was Joe Wright's first film that he directed. He'd done some television work before. I would play. say, well done. Yes. Maybe, okay, hold on. There's a few flourishes where I think he goes a little too far in, like, showing off the film techniques, where it's like, I'm like, I'm not sure that one's working, but there's some that are just amazing that I love. You know, the the um, flair with which he does some of the yeah, scenes. I, I really liked it. Okay, uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, you may be familiar, it is originally a novel. What? <laughs> it has, has been adapted many times. Some of the most famous adaptations are, there's a 1940 film version with Lawrence Olivier as Darcy, there's the 1995 BBC adaptation with Jennifer L. as Lizzie and Colin Firth as Darcy. Ely. Jennifer Ely. Is it Ely? I've always heard it L. Oh, knowledge dropped from Kirsten. So glad <laughs> you are here. <laughs> How, Ely? Yeah. Okay. I think that's like the... Anglicized German name. Okay. All right. Well, I, my, my train of thought is derailed at the moment. So. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple other versions that are notable. There's the Bollywood adaptation called Bride and Prejudice. And there is an adaptation. I don't know how to call this one. The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, like an online social media adaptation. Yeah, it. like a modernization. And then you may have heard of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which owes a bit to the Austin classic. <laughs> <laughs> Both the book and the film. So that's Can we say that we're planning on doing... An episode on Lizzie Bennet Diaries. I think the cat's out of the bag at this moment. <laughs> well, <laughs> this, I mean, this conversation is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, no, but this is this came out of a conversation 
So one of our patrons requested that we talk about Elizabeth Diaries, and we were discussing that, and then Joe, you, you said this would be the perfect time to discuss this film. And so, well, a version, and as I was trying to think of a version, this one made the most sense because we don't have the time to do the five hour. <laughs> um, I really like that one, though. <laughs> yeah, it's great, and also we didn't have any novel thoughts because so many of our patrons have been requesting novels. Yeah, <laughs> so it just made sense to do the two hour film version. I so thought. this is this will be a good, um, like a good uh, precursor. Yeah, to yeah, that. sort of a two part, almost. Yeah, yeah, a month we, apart. We could have done the twenty minute wishbone version. Oh, there's I'm a wishbone version of this one? I haven't seen that. Okay, we'll be back in a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you can't find... Wishbone is not available no, I know. to watch anywhere. Oh. I, I've searched for it for my like, like There's some bootlegs on uh, yeah. YouTube that get taken down periodically, but there's no DVD releases. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter really wanted to watch the Sherlock Holmes movie. I was like, well, let's see if there's a wishbone one. <laughs> all right. Uh, should we talk about how we all came to... Should, uh, should we say Pride and Prejudice, or this version of Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> I don't know. We can do both. All right. Todd, you want to start? What's your experience with Pride and Prejudice? I think I first read Pride and Prejudice in high school. Did we read it in high school? Yes, we did. And the, and that was this came out in 95? The BBC one? This, no, this film. Oh, this one was 2005. The BBC one was 95. Five. You would have been in college, Todd. I know. It just seems... Oh, all my memories are like... <laughs> we call that conflating. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I read it in high school and must have watched the Colin Firth version then and really loved it. I always like felt like I wanted to be Mr. Darcy, but <laughs> I don't know that I really pulled that off very well. <laughs> Where's my estate in Derbyshire? <laughs> you don't have a Pemberley? <laughs> no, no Pemberley for me. I just liked him. He was, like, dark and brooding, and I liked that. Um, uh, we just talked about Jane Eyre. That's a different level of dark and brooding in that one than what we get from, from yeah, Darcy. I mean, we'll be talking a lot about Lizzie, but I'm sure we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about Darcy. Um, but he, I think that they are both fascinating characters. Uh, so I guess I must have seen this film in, when I was in college, but I really, like, I have 100% false memories of watching this in high school. <laughs> So, there you go. Kirsta? So, uh, I first came across this story, I grew up with the 1980 BBC version, which is why I corrected you from calling just calling 1995 one the BBC version. Um, I think it is called the BBC version now. Like, it's got the article, the definitive article, the... <laughs> in front of it. They're both we BBC. It. We got it through A&E at the time. Yeah, it was yeah. BBC A&E production. It was, a, it was, a, it was a so. back when A&E was a thing. <laughs> well, it was in 1995, apparently. So, um, so yeah, we didn't... So that version's five hours long, two VHS tapes. We did not own it, but one of the local public libraries did. Shout out to the Orem Public Library's amazing film collection. Yes! <laughs> so. I would give my right arm. I think oh. we had a five VHS tape version, or six, because it's six episodes, but five hours, right? Yeah. I think we had a six... VHS tape set that of the ninety five one. Of the ninety five nice. one that she got like right as it came out, and it had I think it made Darcy's face across the five oh, boxes. Yeah, it's yeah. So yeah. Good. Man, that version is so good. I like, have five years from now when we're still doing this. We'll we, go back and do we that. Come back and revisit this. Only if five years after that we can go back and do the original novel. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Um, I do have a soft spot for like multi-volume set, multi-VHS sets that like have a picture. Yeah, I don't know why. It just makes you really happy. The content's the same. Regardless, do you have the Rocky but... one that has him? With no, the, I haven't the seen that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky four. Yeah. So, um, so my mom would check it out about every year, every other year, and just sit through and watch it. Um, and so the first time I saw it, I don't even remember because I was so young that it was just like on the background and I wasn't really paying attention. But I remember being a little bit older and not really remembering the plot, but I. I remember Mr. Wickham showing up and I was kind of like, I don't trust him. I don't know why, but I don't trust him. So I had that sort of like gut memory from, from previous times. So I saw that probably before I was 10 and then at some point read it. And and that's one of the versions that's so faithful to the novel that it's really easy to pick up the novel and, and just kind of follow along because the dialogue's all taken from it. So, and then later on I saw the um, 2004 version. I saw the Bollywood version. I've seen the Mormon version. I've seen Bridget Jones Diary, which is kind of a loose adaptation. Yeah. There's a fabulous board book version that only has 12 words and it's actually really yes, funny. I have that one upstairs. Or, well, yeah. is it a counting one? No, there's okay, another the, there's one. There's the counting yeah. board book yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, the wishbone version. I think it has um, um, three proposals is the number three. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
very nice. <laughs> um, but I have to confess, I have never seen the 95 version. What? What? <laughs> this is shocking. This is more shocking than Jennifer Ellie's real last name. <laughs> because when the 95 version came out, I was like, I don't care about sports, but I'm very loyal to the 1980 version of Pride really? and Prejudice. Yeah, and so, like, I saw parts of it, but because they're both trying to, like, they're miniseries and they're both trying to cover the whole thing, they're so similar in tone that it's almost like dissonance. Like, every single scene, I'm like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And so I just, like, I, it's a big yeah. gap in my Jane Austen knowledge, and I need to get around to it sometime, but honestly, I, I feel like it's going to be, like, well, five years from now, when we're still <laughs> You'll be invited back on. Okay, that's fair. So okay. there was a paper I saw presented at a conference. I think we should do the Pride and Prejudice Minute. And do the 1995 <laughs> <laughs> Seven years. So Star Wars Minute. <laughs> yeah. This minute, he strides out of the lake. <laughs> Colin Firth's flared nostrils. Okay, so what do you think that he meant? <laughs> um, but I was going to say, there was at a conference I saw them talking about adaptation, and they were specifically talking about different adaptations of Pride and Prejudice and how they have to adapt not just the text, but against the previous versions. Right. And so, like, the same scene, like, will be set. One will be set inside, one will be set outside. But it's because they trust that audiences know one version so much to differentiate it. They have to um, make it different. And they... <laughs> They just did a sequence of showing, like, um, the, the iconic scenes from each version of Lizzie being outside and, like, how she, in one version, she's crossing a, cresting a hill and the next one she's on the cliff, like, staring at it. And the next one, it's the Bollywood version and she's riding in a helicopter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they keep escalating <laughs> her relationship with the outdoors. Um, my experience is similar to Todd's. Uh, I think my mom, like I said, had the VHS version, and so it was kind of a background thing where, like, when she was ironing, I'd hear that piano score from the 1995 <laughs> version sometimes. So beautiful. <laughs> um, and then we read the book in high school, and I re- I watched it then and really liked that version. And guys, if you're like, oh, Pride and Prejudice is for girls, just know Jane Austen is an incredibly witty writer. And, like, there's so much snark and, that, and the humor comes from this almost sarcastic tone that you do not expect to find in a writer from that era. Um, it's really a joy to read her writing, and I think it, obviously, with all the adaptations we've mentioned, it's a story that holds up really well to adaptation. Yeah. for At the time, it was it was snarky social commentary. It wasn't, like, fluffy historical romance. Yeah. And, and we look back and kind of miss that aspect if we're focusing on estates in Derbyshire, so... Yeah, I, um, I think there's a lot about, you know, issues of inheritance, <laughs> you know, issues of class, you know, class issues that are writing all through there that, like you said, kind of gets lost when you just look at it as a, one of the great romance stories that's mm-hmm. been written. Um, I think there is, like you said, a lot of sharp social commentary that's really dripping from a lot of these pages. Uh, we would just like to, before we jump into plot synopsis here, uh, we would remind you to please go to iTunes and give us a review there. We're, we've stalled out at about 23, and we love getting those. It helps uh, it helps grow our audience and helps us feel great about the show. And, and let us um, know that you are actually listening. And let us know that you actually are listening. So you can just run over to iTunes and give us a rating or write it right inside of your uh, podcast app if you're listening on the iPhone. You don't even have to say, type in any words. You can just hit five stars and that'll show up as a... As yeah, a, but I really like the words. I, I know. Mean, yeah. There's some fun things that have been said. We'll read a few snippets in the future. Thank you to, to, <laughs> thank you to those of you who have done that. It, it really does um, like make our day. I know this is mine. I don't know if it makes yours. I enjoy it. What I come across. Like, oh, there's a new one. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> All right, Todd, before I give a full spoiler-filled version of a synopsis of this film, for any listeners who are unfamiliar with Pride and Prejudice, could you tell them what the, the story is about? Uh, this is the story of the main character. Her name is Lizzie Bennett. She is one of five sisters. She's the second oldest, and none of them are married. And they're from sort of a middle-ish class family in England, um, and they're, the goal of all young women in the society is to get married and, uh, she's witty and she's smart and she only wants to marry for love. And this causes problems for her because there are, <laughs> are uh, options in, in Lizzie's path. Um, and, uh, she meets some interesting people and, uh, and one, one of them, his name is Mr. Darcy. And it's a lot, uh, I see this a lot as her relationship with him and, and the development of that. Yeah. Uh, if that sounds interesting to you, this version is certainly available on DVD, and you can order that by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. It will look like a regular Amazon page, but it gives us a little kickback when you place any orders from there. And you can, of course, use that link for ordering anything from Amazon. There are so many things that you could spend money on on Amazon. <laughs> we invite you to do so. 
Go spend your money. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, here is the full synopsis, synopsis of this version of Pride and Prejudice. We open on a shot of Regency-era England, where Lizzie is reading because she's smart, and she enjoys a walk outside because she's adventurous and independent. With an awesome <laughs> tracking shot, we see the rest of the Bennett family. Uh, there's Responsible Jane, there's Lydia and Kitty, uh, Lydia and Kitty, not Kitty, that's not a word. Lydia and Kitty, who are running around and giggling, and there's Mary, who is studiously practicing the piano. Mrs. Bennett is all a titter because some new gentleman is in town and may want to marry one of her five daughters, and long-suffering Mr. Bennett says he's actually already met the gentlemen, and in fact, they are all invited to a ball where they will meet them. At the ball, Lizzie chats with her good friend Charlotte, and Lizzie predicts that all the men will be falling in love with Jane. Lizzie is sharp-tongued and acerbic in her assessment of men in general, but Jane, of course, chooses to see the good in everyone. Now, I don't want this to take over our <laughs> summer, but way back in our February uh, special Valentine's Day podcast, I had picked Jane Bennett to be the ideal match for Wreck-It Ralph, because Wreck-It Ralph's largest issue is that everyone sees him as a villain and can't get past that, and I said Jane Bennett it sees the good in everyone. It may come up a couple times. I'm going to try not to let it dominate my discussion of this plot. I do not even remember who I picked that beat Jane for Wreck-It Ralph. Well, it's because you two were... You had a different choice entirely. Yeah, you had a different choice. That's why. So I had to choose between the couple that you had selected Uh, versus the couple that he had selected. And this was my best pick of the whole night, and it didn't win. Uh, But I'm not bitter about it. I'm not. Again, I'm not going to try and let it dominate this. All right. (laughs) Unfortunately, sometimes your best picks don't win. (laughs) Yeah, hundred acre law. (laughs) Hundred acre. Yes, it was another great one. You'll see in the future episodes. Spoiler. Yeah, it's Winnie the Pooh uh, as a lawyer. Trespassers All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm thoroughly off track. Let's see. Where was I even? Uh, okay. Um, let's see. The wealthy gentleman, Mr. Bingley, and the dower Mr. Darcy are introduced, along with Bingley's sister. Only one in this version. Uh, Mrs. Bennett introduces her daughters to Bingley and Darcy, and Bingley does in fact seem a bit taken with Jane. When Lizzie asks Darcy if he dances, he responds, not if I can help it. <laughs> See, that's why I loved Darcy when I was in high school. Because <laughs> you don't like dancing? That's, that's exactly something that I would have said in, uh, in 1999. Uh, later that night, Jane admits that she does like Bingley quite a bit, and Lizzie notes that Jane is too apt to like people in general and see the world as good and agreeable. Um, Jane is invited to visit... <laughs> with the volume on that? It was just, again, another point in my argument about Jane being the one who sees the good in everyone. <laughs> Uh, that was basically a direct quote from the film about Jane's character. Uh, Jane is invited to visit Bingley's sister. Mrs. Bennett insists that Jane not use the carriage, but rather go on horseback, hoping that inclement weather will keep Jane there long enough to have more time meeting Mr. Bingley. Jane does, in fact, get a cold, a sore throat, and a fever, which causes Mrs. Bingley to celebrate... <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Bennett. Oh, sorry, Mrs. Bennett to celebrate. Um, and Jane needs to convalesce at Netherfield. That's the name of the house that uh, Bingley has rented. Lizzie walks to Netherfield to visit her sister. Um, Miss Bingley is appalled at Lizzie's parents when she comes in because she has a dirty hem and her hair is down. But Darcy seems impressed at her physical exertions and care for her sister. The soldiers uh, come to town, which sends Lydia and Kitty into fits of flirtatiousness. Back at Netherfield. Can we just call them Kidia from now on? Kidia. Really <laughs> yeah, just, just combine the two of them. Uh, at Netherfield, Miss Bingley tries to flirt with Darcy and fails. Lizzie tries not to flirt with him and fails. All the Bennett sisters come uh, to, for a visit, and Kitty suggests that Bingley hold a ball at Netherfield. As they are leaving, Mr. Darcy helps Lizzie into the carriage, and then as he walks away, he flexes the hand that touched her supple skin. Mr. Collins... <laughs> A, uh, <laughs> Did you notice how many hand shots there are? There are a lot of hand shots in this, yes. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Collins is a cousin who will inherit the family house whenever Mr. Bennett dies, and he comes for a visit. He is a short, obsequious man, and a delightful character to watch on film. I he, really like him in this version. <laughs> he hopes to marry one of the Bennett daughters. He asks about Jane, but Mrs. Bennett says Jane may be married off soon, so he decides that Lizzie would be the best match for him. Which, uh, okay, just real quick. I've always had, like, the fan version that's maybe a little too perfect that he chooses Mary <laughs> afterwards, because I think he and Mary would be a happy marriage. You know I thought that he, when I was watching this, in my false memory, yeah. that he did marry Mary. Yeah, and it's one of those that's maybe a little too tidy, if that were to happen, but I feel like those two would get in along. In the Mormon version, he does. Oh, really? Or they end up together, yeah. Okay. In this version, don't they have a few shots of Mary looking at him yes. as, yes. as uh-huh. though she wished? I 
I yeah. think that's in the book actually, because I was because it, it it comes up so many times in film versions that I think I looked for it once to, to see. And there's kind of like hinted at the gist that she admires him or something. But. Yeah, that that his I, nature is appealing to her. I don't want the whole Wreck It Ralph thing to take over this whole night. But so, do you think, given Mary, given Jane's uh, propensity to see the good in everyone, if Collins had proposed to Jane, you think she would have accepted? I kind of think she would have, but. Well, I do you think know. Lizzie could have talked her out? Yeah, of it? Lizzie would have objected, and her father would have objected. Uh, would her father have objected to marrying? And what does this? No, have, I don't what does think this have to do. I mean, how does this uh, like play into your whole? No, I, I, you know, I, I can't see her. But at the same time, it's not like wait. Say, continue that sentence one more time. Like fill, finish it all the way through. Well, I can't see her. Oh, I can't see her marrying Mary Collins. Thank you. Um, because. But well, I was gonna say, but at the same time, Bingley isn't exactly like the greatest catch in history. <laughs> as is far, it? yeah, as far as like, he, well, Darcy it, is the greatest catch, in right? History. But in this version, Bingley's kind of a doofus. You is know, the, the way a doofus in like in the way he showed in this, he's kind of like a, a goofball. <laughs> I would say. What? Wait, wait, wait. I've never seen a version where he wasn't. A, a goofball. Yeah, like yeah. he's. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like it's not like Jane is waiting for the perfect man. I. Th- like, she likes Bingley. She clearly, like, has genuine romantic affection for, yes. for Bingley. I'm not saying she's just settling for Bingley by any means, but it's not like he's a classic romantic lead in no, terms of his I, personality. I grant that to you. Kirsten, I you? don't, I don't, I guess I don't see how Bingley, I mean, yeah, he's not a classic really, romantic we're, lead, we're but he's very... <laughs> So the thing about the thing, the reason he's not a classic romantic lead is because he's so easygoing that there would be no conflict there. But that's like aside from the fact that Darcy can talk him out of stuff. But like that's a positive thing for Jane. You know, I mean, yeah. and Mr. Bennett even says like they're so sweet, they're so good natured that their servants will cheat yeah. them. But like yes. that's what she wants. So I don't. Yeah. And, but I'm saying like he he doesn't come across as a very intelligent man in this version. Like I said, a little bit of a doofus <laughs> is how he's yeah. being played in this version, and as our producer was noting, in a lot of versions, he's played as kind of a fop. I still... No. I'm an expert in fops. <laughs> <laughs> this is no Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> I, see what, I, see, I totally get your point here. What I'm saying is that if she wouldn't have been happy with Collins... What makes you think she would be happy with Wreck-It Ralph? Because Wreck-It Ralph really is a good guy at its core. Collins, I don't know that he... There's much at the core. Wreck-It Ralph has a core that's different than Collins' core. Okay. I still think Bingley is a great catch. <laughs> Plus, like, okay, I mean, they, they have I'm no... I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was going to be controversial. I thought we were all on board with that one. <laughs> they have no dowry. I like Their it. estate yeah. is entailed away, and he comes from, like, a wealthy... He has a house oh, that has I, a name. I, I, no, and I, again, I'm not saying that she's being mercenary and going for yeah. Bingley at all, because I think all those things you just mentioned are factors that have to be considered by this family. Right. Um, like, I was listening to the commentary from Joe Wright, and he said, Mrs. Bennett, he thinks, gets unfair criticism, because think of how panicked you would be having five daughters... Yeah. With no no dowry, and you were going to be kicked out of the it's house. Like, yeah, great exchange and, and like, between Lizzie and her mother when when Lizzie says, "Don't you ever think about anything besides our marriage or our potential marriages?" And she says, "If you were in my position, if you had five daughters, if you had five daughters, yeah. you would never think about anything else either." But she's made poor choices with regards to raising them. Anyway, yeah. maybe we should let you finish your summary. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we'll circle back to a lot of these points, uh, especially Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to try and let it dominate. <laughs> um, let's see. So, okay. Back in town, a soldier named Wickham uh, flirts with Lizzie, and she flirts right back with him. They run into Darcy and Bingley, and Wickham and Darcy exchange icy stares with one another. Wickham then tells Lizzie a sob story about how he was connected to the Darcy family. Excuse me. I thought I might see. You're really emotional. I can tell. Yeah, That's I know. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was going to sneeze and I try not to do it right now. I'll just, uh, <laughs> yeah, the song story. this story isn't really true. So. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Yeah. So he is trying to get the waterworks flowing. <laughs> yeah, so, like, just wherever it takes. He's being a little too well. He's being pretty, pretty manipulative at this moment. Uh, he claims, uh, I don't want to tip the hand of, of the truth of the story now, but he claims that his father cared for the Darcy estate, and when Darcy's father died, uh, Darcy's father had bequeathed the rectory at the estate to Wickham so that Wickham could pursue his desired life in the church because he's really moral and ethical and, and holy. Oh, yeah. yeah, he wanted wanted nothing more than to serve the Lord. Um, Darcy, however, was full of jealousy that his father had loved Wickham more, and so he ignored this request, and Wickham now has had to enlist as a soldier to survive, and this poisons Lizzie's opinion of Darcy even more. 
Um, Jane, however, because she always tries to see the good in everyone she meets, argues that this must have just been a misunderstanding, for there is no way Darcy could be so cruel. At the ball later on, Wickham does not show, even though he is invited, which is disappointing to Lizzie. This is the ball at Netherfield now. Uh, and though Lizzie is disappointed, the viewer should be delighted by multiple gorgeous <laughs> single-take tracking shots through the entire ball that are just amazing to watch. Um, this is just some peak film work <laughs> coming from Joe Wright. I read that one of them wasn't even intended to be the final shot. It was just like a background shot, but they got everything they needed in it, so they're like... Yeah, the, the longest one like runs through every member of the family, and you see them all doing embarrassing things, except for... <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, great film work. Um, at the ball, uh, Collins invites Lizzie to dance, and while dancing with Collins, Lizzie has a very stilted and awkward conversation with both him and Jane as they each have part of the conversation whenever they're closer to Lizzie, and it's splitting uh, the two, and it's just awkward to watch, but it's it's very well done. Uh, after, after the dance, Collins uh, declares his intention to be near Lizzie for most of the night, giving us a great reaction shot from Kira. Uh, and she has a lot of good reaction shots. I think that's one of her strengths, is these, these looks at uh, reacting to what's happening around her. Uh, later on, Darcy asks Lizzie to dance, and though they trade some pointed bars, it's worth noting that they have a somewhat lyrical conversation that allows them to focus only on one another. Um, it's very different from the stilted conversation that she just had with Collins. Uh, the family does a number of embarrassing things, uh, and then Charlotte warns Lizzie that Jane should show more affe- affection to Bingley, lest he think that his affection is unrequited. Uh, and then later on, uh, in the first of a couple disastrous uh, proposals, Collins comes to ask Lizzie to marry him. And though she protests from the very beginning... <laughs> His proposal, he powers through. He is going to get through this, and then she says no, and he still powers you through. Admire, you have to admire his persistence. Yes, uh, and, and finally, when he starts to understand that she is really saying no and not just being coy, he's a little upset. And then Mrs. Bennett says that Lizzie must accept, or she will never speak to her again. To which Mr. Bennett replies that Lizzie, from this day onward, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. <laughs> that settles the matter. She's not going to marry him. Uh, much to Mrs. Bennett's uh, frustration, and it really makes her nerves go crazy. <laughs> her nerves. Her poor nerves. Her poor, her poor nerves. Uh, the Bingleys and, Nar- and Darcy leave Netherfield, reportedly never to return again, which causes Jane great distress. She doesn't understand why. She thought things were going great with her and Bingley. And uh, Jane, in response to this, goes off on a trip uh, to kind of forget her sorrows. Lizzie's friend, Charlotte, comes and says that she is now engaged to Collins. And this causes Lizzie some to, to be a little upset because Lizzie does not have a high opinion of Collins, as we just saw. Um, but uh, Charlotte says, you know what? I'm 27. I have no prospects. I don't have the luxury to wait for romance. And I, to which I say, what female character in this story really does? <laughs> I mean, Lizzie ends up having the luxury, but everyone around her is telling her, don't think you do. While visiting Charlotte, uh, Lizzie and Charlotte and Collins are invited to see Lady Catherine de Berg. Todd, do you have something like a quote you want to drop from Lady Catherine de Berg? Or... <laughs> I just love Collins. Like, <laughs> you can see him groveling even when he's nowhere near her. <laughs> yes, like, as they're approaching, he begins hunching and groveling. <laughs> he is so excited about his patroness. <laughs> yes. This is Colin's patroness. Uh, and when they get there, they find out that Darcy is there as well, which causes some awkwardness for Lizzie and uh, much more for Lizzie. She seems more awkward than Darcy. Darcy's kind of like, whatever. <laughs> you... You know. He's a pretty cool customer. Yes. And Lady Catherine, played by Judy Dents, puts on a master class in upper class snobbery. She's good. She's so good. Yes. And then uh, speaking with Darcy's friend, who is trying to praise Darcy, Lizzie learns that Darcy recently saved a Mr. Charles Bingley from an imprudent marriage, particularly due to objections about the lady's family. In awkward proposal number two, Darcy comes to ask Lizzie to marry him, despite everything in his nature telling him they are not a good match. Uh, Lizzie rejects him after a small apology for causing him pain, but then they just air it all out. (laughs) Lizzie is angry about Darcy denying Wickham his rightful wealth and stopping Jane and Bingley's romance. Darcy says that excluding Jane and Lizzie, her family has behaved appallingly, and he uh, was right to be concerned about the family connections that would exist if Bingley was to marry Jane. Uh, later on, Darcy leaves a letter for Lizzie explaining that he truly thought Jane did not share the same affection for Bingley that Bingley was clearly expressing. And he also laid out the true story of Wickham's past. In short, Wickham is a drunk gambler with no work ethic, and he tried to seduce Darcy's younger sister uh, to marry him so that he could get his hands on her inheritance, and Darcy put a stop to that. Uh, Jane returns from London and claims to be quite over Bingley. She doesn't even think about him anymore. Lydia is going to get to go to Brighton, where the soldiers are all stationed. 
she is ecstatic, but Lizzie warns that she will ruin the family's reputation. Uh, and later on, Lizzie is now going to go on a trip to the country with her aunt and uncle. And there are some gorgeous shots of the English countryside. <laughs> um, and the family carriage breaks down, but fortunately it is a fairyland straight out of a Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> it's like this tr- giant, massive tree overgrown with moss and all of these great ferns growing around. It really looks so like it's from beautiful. a fairyland. This film is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then Lizzie's aunt and uncle say, you know what? We're near Pemberley. Why don't we go check out that place? I've heard it's really beautiful. And Lizzie tries to beg off, but they all go. Um, and we see the fantastic grounds at Pemberley. And there's another great reaction shot of Keira Knightley just laughing. <laughs> she sees how big Pemberley really is. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about this version is, is her reaction, which is basically just like, oh yeah, of course, of course I said no to this. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I would do. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, and then we go through the actual house and we see lots of conspicuous wealth. <laughs> like just, this is an amazing residence where Darcy gets to hang his hat. Um, Lizzie actually through a door crack. She sees Darcy's little sister playing the piano. She never met her. The girl's name is Georgiana, but she's, um, kind of looking over. And then she's very shocked and embarrassed when Darcy walks in and makes eye contact with Lizzie who is peeking through the door. Um, it's like a horror movie shot <laughs> with Lizzie's reaction. Yes. Yeah. And she runs away, but Darcy catches her. And then Darcy invites Lizzie's aunt and uncle and Lizzie to come over for dinner the next night. Darcy's little sister, Georgiana, is very excited to meet Lizzie because Darcy has spoken so very well of her. She feels like she knows her already, and Lizzie doesn't know how to process that. Um, and Lizzie's uncle is very ecstatic when Darcy offers to let him fish in his well-stocked pond. Like, this is another great reaction song. Like, yes, I get to fish. <laughs> <laughs> Fishing seems to be his only joy in life. Um, <laughs> later on, Lizzie gets a letter from Jane revealing that Lydia has run off with Wickham. It's a great scandal for the family. Darcy says that this is his fault for not having publicly exposed Wickham for being a cad. Uh, Mr. Bennett has gone to try and recover Lydia, but there's little hope that they're ever going to be able to find out where she and Wickham have gone. Lizzie's uncle uh, says that we've got to get you guys back home. I've got to go help look for Lydia. Um, and, uh, Mr. Bennett then returns home at the same time. A letter comes from their uncle revealing that Lydia is now married to Wickham and Mr. Bennett wonders how much their uncle had to pay Wickham to make all of this possible. Lydia comes home and without any shame, she crows about her marriage. (laughs) Like she is so, so proud to be the first one married. And the mother has this like amazing resurrection from the bed. Yes. She finds out that they're married. When Lydia was gone, the mother was taken ill because of her nerves in the bed. And as soon as she knows she's married, She's all ecstatic about it. Um, Lydia acting to everyone. (laughs) Lydia accidentally reveals to Lizzie that Darcy was there at her wedding. This is shocking news and more shocking news follows because Bingley is returning to Netherfield. Uh, The Bennett, (laughs) this is a great scene. The Bennett women are all lounging lazily. (laughs) Like just laying down on the couch and like just sprawled everywhere. And then they hear that Bingley is at the door and they jump up and they throw everything in the drawers. So it's hidden. Like all the crap just gets, put away instantly and then uh, they are all sitting very primly and properly <laughs> and sewing as Bingley is introduced into the room which I will just say not much has changed from the regions of the era when a guest arrives yes. unexpectedly at a house because <laughs> I have certainly been there if only we could all stand so perfectly framed. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, five, so you can see all five people. Windows, doors, <laughs> and fireplaces. Yeah, there's some good uh, layers of composition for the depth of, of everyone standing yeah, in the room really... when they walk in. Kitty uh, looks out the window and complains that Darcy is there as well, which causes Lizzie to be very intrigued. And then while Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Bennett makes some small tar- talk with Bingley, welcoming him back, Lizzie and Darcy steal glances at one another, and every time one looks at the other, they're already looking at each other, and it's just, oh, oh the tension. The tension is mounting. <laughs> Uh, then the next day, Bingley, after, um, practicing a couple times with Darcy about how you actually do a marriage proposal, it's a great scene from the distance. <laughs> he, he goes back and he asks to speak with Miss Bennett, but everyone knows he's talking about Jane. Uh, and then he says he's been a fool and asks for her hand in marriage. And Jane says, yes, that night, Lady Catherine arrives in the middle of the night to demand an audience with Lizzie. She I ins- love this scene. <laughs> she insults Lizzie and asks about rumors that Lizzie and Darcy are engaged. Lizzie says they are not engaged, but she also gives as good as she gets it when it comes to the insulting... <laughs> part of things. <laughs> and then Lady Catherine asks Lizzie to promise that she will never marry Darcy, and Lizzie refuses to do that. And then the next morning, Darcy heroically strides through the fog <laughs> to try that whole proposal thing one more time. He's going to give it another go. Um, and this time, it goes much better. Though we never actually see Lizzie say yes in this version. <laughs> she just takes his hand and says, your hand is cold. And 
the kiss. Uh, and then it closed it in a closing shot that I remember eliciting giggles in the theater when I saw this. Really? Uh, yeah, I remember people laughing at this because it's a little odd and uh, it's still caused me to be like a little like what what is this closing shot they are looking over the massive estate at pemberley she's sitting on a marble table <laughs> looking out when darcy steps up onto the table <laughs> with her and they talk about what a good pet name for lizzie would be and he asks if he could call her mrs darcy and she says you can only call me that when you are perfectly happy and then he, he proceeds to call her mrs mrs darcy about a half dozen times smooching her in between each each one and the end so, i read end that that scene is only in the american release that oh, really? the British one. Yeah, like, added it to be extra smoochy for American audiences. So I think you're right. I think it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And I, like, I remember, I think I saw this with our friend Josh Van Cott. <laughs> I think he and I were like, you want to go see the new Pride and Prejudice? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I remember people laughing in the theater, like, this is this is weird, yeah. <laughs> this scene. And when I watched this with my wife on Sunday, we both kind of said, uh, I don't know that this is a good ending. I think I might be uh, particularly vulnerable to smoochiness because I don't think it's on at all. I just like it. <laughs> okay. And well, that is the end like of the film. Smooching. Okay, well done, Joseph. Thank you. That is Pride and Prejudice for anyone who is unfamiliar. <laughs> which actually uh, brings me to uh, my first one of my things that I wanted to talk about, which is uh, the pacing of this film. Does it feel like really fast? Yeah. Yes, and some of the things that are cut because I know the novel so well and other versions. Like I feel like Wickham is really he's not as. He's you not know, as present, and you don't feel like the betrayal as much as you do in other versions when he turns out to be a bad guy. Yeah, he doesn't feel like such a sleazeball. Or or you just know that he's a sleazeball, like, right from the beginning. Because he's got the weird ponytail. Like lost in that, <laughs> in that section of it, certainly. Yeah, he's got a lame ponytail. He's a bad guy. I think yeah, it, absolutely. I think it kind of compresses the emotion. So instead of, like, the longer version where you have this, like, very you know, very long contemplative, you can like sit and stew over Mr. Darcy being rude to you or whatever. Like it has, it goes so fast. You have to be like really angry, really upset, really in love, really, you know, betrayed, really all this stuff. Um, I, I have a friend who likes to call this version, like pride and prejudice as written by Charlotte Bronte. You know, it's just like much more, (laughs) which, which I think he did what he had to do to make it fit into two hours, but that's kind of necessary for, for that length of film. So, yeah. So one another thing that I was gonna say about the about the photography here. So you, you oh. I I think it's Hold on, real quick before we did it. Like, yes. Just real quick, I was looking. I had put out a call to people on Facebook to give any comments, and one of the comments I have is about that ending. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, nice. This is from listener Josh. He says, I thought the end where he keeps calling her Mrs. Darcy Darcy over and over was deeply troubling. From a feminist point of view, it was sort of like he was claiming her as his own again and again, like a two-year-old saying, mine, mine, mine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that <laughs> Which, at all. The next comment under it was immediately, except he's doing it only because she told him to do that when he is incandescently happy. He is expressing his joy, not claiming her, and they go back and forth a few times. But I just thought that one of the comments in my Facebook page was about yeah, I that very that ending that we just touched on. <laughs> so we were talking about the photography here, which I think is... Like, it's, it's, um, I don't know what the word is, like, extravagant. I just feel, from the opening shot of that slow, like, the sunrise coming over the thing, it just is, uh, like, a true feast for the eyes. And then you, you have in, in our notes here that there are some places where you feel like it kind of falls down or, like, it becomes too... Too showy? Like, it's too much about the filmmaking tricks and not about expanding the story. So some that I like... I love the tracking shots, like the huge tracking uh-huh. shots through the balls. Those are amazing. Um, I love the swing shot for the passage of time when she's swinging. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and every time she rotates, like the, the scene changes yes. to a different season. Um, but like we said, it's really compressed. So that's how they compress a lot of it is uh-huh. in that one swing. Um, and th- but there are some that I don't think work quite as well. Darcy delivering the letter, like she's staring in a mirror and Darcy appears behind her and leaves the letter. And then we get this voiceover going and he kind of disappears. That one is, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. And there's another one where it's like a really bright red light for a moment and like it kind of fades. And it's just, for me, it's, it's showing the tricks a little too much and not advancing the story. But there's one that my wife didn't like and I kind of like, and it's when she's dancing with Darcy and everyone else in the room disappears. Yes. And it's oh, just yeah. Lizzie and Darcy dancing. Uh-huh. Like for me, that one worked, but for my wife, she's like, it's just, it's always been an odd moment. And it is a very showy moment. Whereas the tracking shot, in some ways, it's a, it's a, it's harder, but it's subtle. <laughs> like, like, unless you want to, Point yeah. out and think, this is all one shot, isn't it? You you know, it doesn't draw attention to itself. Whereas sure. the thing, like the whole dance, everyone else fading out around them, that's a very showy film thing to do. It's just, I, I think it's interesting because I had the same reaction that you have to this film, to the book The Name of the Wind, 
where, like, people say, oh, The Name of the Wind, it's so beautiful, and it's so, like, the language, and and when I read The Name of the Wind, I was like, yeah, like, there are parts that are really good, and there are other parts where I was like, well, it just feels like he's, like, trying too hard. When he, when he stops and, and spends a chapter talking about how to choose the right word. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And, and uh, but with this film, like, all of that just gets a pass. Like, I just, I sit on the couch, and I put this on, and this beautiful soundtrack, and these amazing shots, and Kira Knightley, and I'm like, I'm just like, I could watch this film all day and not get tired of it. It's so beautiful. Uh, and and so all that stuff just gets a pass, but then I'm, like, critical of other things. I just think it's interesting, like, where that tipping point is with different people. Yeah. Kirsten, do you, do you have an opinion on, like, the showiness of some of those film techniques? Now that you've pointed out some of the some of the kind of more overt ones, I guess I've noticed them. And, like... They they are noticeable, but I think they work for the most part. And and like I said, like we've said, the you know the emotion is so compressed that I think it's just a more kind of a it, it, the showiness kind of works for it in the way that it wouldn't necessarily for some other versions. Um, along with some other thing, you had mentioned uh, the score, and I just do want to give a, a shout out to the soundtrack on this it film. Beautiful. <laughs> they, I love they, the way that they tie the the score into people actually playing right. the piano. So it's called diegetic or non-diegetic uh-huh. film film scoring, where if it's coming from a source within the film itself, it's called diegetic. And I love, and this has a couple of those moments, when something that seems non-diegetic, where it's just a film score over yes. a scene, becomes diegetic, because yes. you like end the shot on someone playing the piano. They do that in the opening shot with Mary playing uh-huh. the piano, and I think they do it with uh, Geor- Georgiana. They do it with Georgiana and the thing. And then the other, the other part that I really liked is when Lizzie sits down and plays the thing, She's actually playing the score of uh-huh. the film, but she's doing it sort of like not poorly, but not really great. And I, I just, it, it's, I really, I love this, this score. So I the, uh, to this lots of times. Yeah. I have the soundtrack and it is a good one to have on in the background. The, I, I listened to some of the director's commentary and through all of it, but he mentions the score and he says, I was told that the person, and he named him, I can't remember the name, the person who plays the piano on it, he's like, I was told he was one of the four best pianists in the world, which to me meant he was probably the fourth, otherwise they would have said one of the three best. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're all tied. (laughs) But it it is an amazing film score. Is Joe Wright American? I'm pretty sure he's British, I think he's. And one one other thing that kind of made me chuckle, because his, his, um, he doesn't have... I think Europeans seem more comfortable with with ties than Americans. Uh, he, he, there was a, a shot early on when the camera kind of goes past Lizzie and Jane talking in, to their bedroom window and it actually passes through the bedroom window to the outside and you see the moon. And he says, this is one of my first CGI, G- CGI shots and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. I don't know that I'll go back to that well very often. <laughs> and his last film that he directed was Pan, which is just this huge CGI fest that lost us to tons of money because it didn't quite work all the CGI <laughs> stuff. And should have trusted your instincts, Joe, about not being comfortable with CGI. <laughs> oh, too bad, too bad. <laughs> Uh, I have a question about Lizzie and, and Darcy. Okay. Um, and the question is this. At what point do they fall in love with each other? Well, clearly it's staggered, right? <laughs> it takes a while for them to be in love with each other at the same time. Are you sure? Well, yeah, I think it kind of depends on what... Like, the opposite of love is not hatred, it's apathy, right? right. So she cares about him a lot very early on, but she uh-huh. thinks that... She, she likes him as a sparring partner, um, or appreciates him as that early on. I I don't know if we can quite call that love, but it's uh, certainly that certainly piqued her interest. Okay. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yes. And I mean the fact that well, I guess when he does his first proposal, which we discussed in our Jane Eyre episode, is that one of the worst proposals <laughs> in history? You know what? As I um, as I watched it again this time, I I understand what he's doing. Yeah more. But it's it's not a very uh, tactful or diplomatic proposal <laughs> that he gives. Um, so, it, are you- I understand what he's trying to do there. Like, he's trying to say, I mean, he's trying to say, my love hey, is so big. My love is, my love for you is so great that it overcomes all of these obstacles. Uh, but it doesn't come off really great <laughs> for her, and she's not in the best position to <laughs> accept it at that time. So, But do you think he's in love with her at that moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But she's clearly not in love with him yet. So I'm saying that because you're, I mean, you agree, he's in love with her when he does the first proposal. Oh, yes, absolutely. Do you think she's in love with him at that point? Because that's why I'm saying they're staggered, because I don't get love from her in that scene. Okay, do you think she's in love with him before she sees him at Pemberley? Well, this is, uh, this is the one of the troubling lines from the book that's not in this film adaptation, mm-hmm. is she and Jay, Jane asks Lizzie, when did you first fall in love with her, him? And she says in the book, when I first saw the grounds at Pemberley. Um, Interesting. Which you could... Say she's sarcastic all the time. Maybe she's being sarcastic and like play yeah. it, but it 
that line kind of troubles all of the romance. <laughs> so you think it's because she's interested in his money? Like that's the, oh, and that, I mean, that's yeah. the explanation that is given in the book. Again, it could be read as her just being sarcastic sure. and making a joke, which I prefer to read that way because it really changes the character of Lizzie if well, that's when she falls in love with him. <laughs> but, okay, but the thing she learns about him at Pemberley, for one thing... And, and it's actually been a while since I've seen this version of it, so I'm sort of, like, muddling all the versions together. Um, <laughs> what wishbone? No, not that version. Um, so so the servants speak very highly of him. Yes. And that's, like, a really big clue to her, because he has so much power over their lives for them to say, like, oh, he's the best person ever. And then there's also this weird thing where she talks about how, like, Pemberley is... It's like, it's grand, grander than Rosings, but Rosings was sort of like tacky and Pemberley. And she kind of reads into that, like, oh, you must be a good person because you have really well kept grounds, which. You have good taste. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm not sure that that really translates well into kind of, you know, modern taste. But, um, but yeah, the, the fact that the servants speak so highly of him, the fact that his estate is really well made. And also Georgiana. And Georgiana, yeah. Uh, who is. Possible, you think it's possible that her actually seeing, like, with her eyes, mm-hmm. seeing this world that he, not only, like, that he lives in, but that he has, like, created, or at least maintains, right. um, helps her understand what he was trying to do in that initial proposal. I could see that. Yeah. In oh, the- like, if somebody says, hey, I'm really rich, but I'm willing to overlook that because, <laughs> because I think you're hot or something, yeah. is very yeah. different than, like, than going to like see their world mm-hmm. and realize I have no place here. <laughs> right. And the fact that he wants me to be a part of this. Right. I get why that was like, maybe he stumbled through that first sure. proposal right. or, or he has so like so many people depend on him. So much depends on him that he has to, like, he has to be just very careful what he does yes. in the world. And the fact that he was willing to give up even a little bit of his social status to ally himself with her family really was a big sacrifice on his part, even if he didn't present it very well. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also when they're at Pemberley and she meets Georgiana and Georgiana says, oh, I feel like I know you because he said so many great things yes. about you. Mm-hmm. And, and this is after she has rejected him. Oh, yeah. That he is still singing her praises. I think that says something to her about what his feelings for her really are. Yeah. So is Lizzie a dynamic character? Does she change a lot over the course of this film? You mean compared to Darcy? Well, that was my next question. Okay. Well, okay, a similar question, I think. Which one has the pride and which one has the prejudice and how do they overcome it? <laughs> my takeaway from this most recent viewing of this film is that he has the pride and she has the prejudice. But you cannot, I mean, you can, is, I, you I, I think we're probably going to argue that, that they're right? both because you could say he has prejudice against her family and, and the class. But, yeah. it, but, yeah, but, but it's really... But wouldn't you say prejudice is like pre-judging? Yeah. And... His, he's not making a prejudgment. Right. Like, he's seen her. He family. is right. He is and correct. He is right. Yeah. Her mother is bananas. And I love Mr. Bennett, but he is a little too far in his rudeness yeah. sometimes. And well, I, I think like maybe the surface interpretation is that he's obviously pride and she's obviously prejudiced. And then right. the deep interpretation is like, but maybe they both are. Because <laughs> there's even the line that, uh, what, what's the uncle's name again? Where, Gardner. Yeah, Gardner, where he, oh, right. he says something about, uh, like, they're, they're talking about going to visit Pemberley and she doesn't want to. And she's like, ah, oh, I don't like Darcy. He's just too rich. And he says something about, you're so prejudiced against right. the rich people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and that's all she can come up with, right? Yeah. Because she, she doesn't want to say, well, he proposed to me when I denied him. <laughs> so she, she's kind of like fishing for something and she's like, he's so rich. Right. Also, I mean, the fact that she would show up there at all is actually, I mean, it's actually it's not quite rude of her, but it could easily look like she's throwing herself at him, especially it's like, oh, hey, now I've seen where you really live. And, you know, and so the fact, I mean, he, and he has every right to be cold to her or, you know, or even to kick her off the grounds if he really wanted to. And the fact that he instead is very kind to her and kind to her uncle and aunt, I think that's like the biggest character defining moment for him. Um, that he had every right to be... When she shows up at Pemberley. Right. right. He had every right to be very cold to her. Yeah, like, like he, like, he has all the power in this situation, and really the moral right to, like, brush her off, because she was kind of rude to him last time they had a conversation. And then he goes out of his way to be kind, and... Um, I have no knowledge of the traditions. Like, what is... 
the practice of walking to someone else's home. Like, obviously, this is a thing that was done then. Yeah. But do you have any more extensive knowledge of what the customs were at the time? So the the big houses, the kind of great houses of England, were generally available to tour. It wouldn't have been, like, the personal quarters. But, I mean, if your house is big enough that it has... Like, when you tour the White House. Right, right. So if your house is big enough that it has, like, a ballroom and a portrait hall or whatever, a sculpture hall, um, yeah, that was just a very common thing. And... And I don't know if there were certain times it would have been open or not, but but it would have been like a servant or someone who would have made them welcome. That was just kind of how it was done. Yeah, I and mean, maybe that's a sort of like something that the you know the, the the gentry or the nobility did to kind of be like, well, we have this great wealth, let's share it, and you know, you can tour our house yeah, kind of sure. thing. So okay, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the the idea of people touring the house is not not out of the question, by right? Right, like, right. That that's normal, right? But the fact that she's coming is, you know, and also, and that also, like, very, very clearly heightens their difference in social structure that, like, she is a tourist at his house, you know, like, that's how different they are, even when they, even when they met a little bit more on common ground in in other situations, they're very different there. So, we still haven't answered my question, does Lizzie change, and if so, how, over the course of this story? So, initially, she is, she rejects Collins and Darcy, but in both instances, it's because she wants a higher standard, standard for a relationship. Like, she wants mm-hmm. romantic feelings. And she says yes to the end because she has those. So, in that sense, she's kind of stayed steady. Uh, her feelings for Darcy have evolved, but not, like, her her um, attitude towards marriage as uh-huh. an institution or anything like that. Yeah. I don't know if she changes that much in this version. I, I would say that um, she probably learns to be a little bit less hasty in uh-huh. her judgment. I mean, especially because she was dead wrong about both Darcy and Wickham, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, my, I, I mean, she, she's the kind of person who thinks she has good judgment, but like everyone thinks they have good judgment because if you have bad judgment, you don't know because you have bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and she's got, I mean, she's, she's quicker to judge than, than Jane. And she thinks she's right even when she and Charlotte disagree. And I think she kind of learns over and over again that, that she's not, you know, her first instinct isn't necessarily a good one. Then, so at the at the very end, when she says to her father, "I was entirely wrong about mm-hmm. Darcy," mm-hmm. is that true? Because initially, Darcy is a jerk. Like mm-hmm. at that first ball, he says some like pretty. He he really is a big right. jerk, and and so then that That's makes me wonder about Todd. That's that was your role model in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. <laughs> uh, uh, but. Like, I mean, he he is legitimately rude. I don't know that there's any way to, like, soften that yeah. for him. He's a he's he's a jerk to her. We can get into that, but continue. So I, then I wonder, like, how much does he change over the course right. of this? And, and then does that change what she says at the end when she says, I was entirely wrong about him? Maybe it's not, like, I was partially wrong yeah. about him. But he is he is a changed man. Like when he walks across, he strides across that the glen or whatever we call that the the heather, and he's like in the fog, and he's got his, his, his overcoat. Oh, but his overcoat's like flowing. That's not the same Darcy that we see at the ball. That's yeah. all like uptight, yeah. and I don't dance with anybody. And I mean, he's like in his I don't know what is he like in his short his shorts and his thing and he's smooching her. That's not the same Darcy that we see at the beginning of the film. Like, I think that he goes through a pretty radical transformation. Of Right. Of this? More so than Jade, or Lizzie. Yes, I think more so than Lizzie. Is is Darcy at the end the same Darcy that hugged his sister? Sure. So the first time she starts to change her opinion of Darcy is when she's at Pemberley and she sees him hug his sister, right? That's arguable. Continue. Okay. But <laughs> depends like, on the version. Depends on the like, viewer. <laughs> do you think Darcy at the beginning of the story isn't the same Darcy that hugs his sister like that. I Has think, he changed before she makes it to Pemberley? I think his Pemberley self is probably pretty consistent throughout the whole film. So it's just his his persona exterior. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just real so quick, I don't for any know that he's changed. I think she has just, like, cracked through. Or he has let her through. But he's always been a much more comfortable at Pemberley. Like, like it's not just that's his true self. It's like that's his really, really comfortable self. It's also where he's in charge of everything. And if you only be nice when you're in charge of everything, like, I feel like that's kind of a character flaw. I think, but I think it could be a flaw of society. Like, that may, is maybe a critique. Like, he's been bred to a point of comfort mm-hmm. when he's in control to the point where he can't be in comfort outside of his control. Like when he, even when he's at his best friend's place, he's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and has to exercise some control over his best friend. Yeah, 
Just for any new listeners who are confused by the fourth voice, that is our producer, Andrew, chiming in with some good insights and questions. Because I always got the impression that it wasn't, like, I didn't think he was actually a jerk. I thought he was a bad people person. And that's it. He claims that. This is what he says at the very end. I do not have the talent of conversing easily with people I have not met before. Right. So, he like, he's socially, at least... Which I guess. Socially strangers. Awkward. Yeah. Oh, I hate hairdressers when they go or like hairdressers oh. who are cutting your hair. But like, they start a conversation. It's like no small talk. Just, just, small just talk. get the haircut. Done. And that's a really interesting point because that's something that Lizzie is actually very good at. She's funny. She's yes. witty. She knows how to and and like she undervalues that because she's so good at it and it's so easy for you know she like has a fun conversation with Mr. Wickham like the first time she meets him sure. and so from her perspective it's like how hard can this be you know I have much less education much less breeding than you and even I can go talk you know go talk to right. people in the square and and his point especially when he's talking to like um I think to Colonel Fitzwilliam at, at Rosings he's like no this really is hard like I am not good at this you need to like actually value this as a skill one bit of trivia I wanted to bring up I read in an interview with Matthew who plays Mr. Darcy. I, I read an interview that he said that he played the role as if Darcy is still overcome by grief at the loss of his father. And so it's not, it's less that, Oh, I'm too good to hang out with these people. And it's more like, I'm barely functioning from day to day as it is. I can't handle like this ball. And so, and I think that's a really interesting, a really interesting choice. Cause it makes him almost like numb. Like, and when he's talking to her and when she's like saying weird stuff about how like poetry doesn't woo women. And he's like, what are you like? I'm, you know, so it's like, he's swimming, you know, or in a fog or something. Oh, the fog. Ah. Hey. <laughs> and then he got out of the fog. There we go. Um, um chronologically, I don't think that that actually, like, that that interpretation actually works because I think Mr. Darcy's father died long enough ago that it would, like, at that I point... I see him more as, like... Anyway, but that was like, my choice. extremely and... high-functioning autistic or something. Like, <laughs> I really is struggling yeah. with... Like, when he says that at the end, I do not have the talent of conversing easily with people I have not met before. Mm-hmm. That... Helps me understand a lot of him. Mm-hmm. Helps me understand why I really liked him when yeah. I was in high school. Yes. Because I was struggling with my own set of issues. And, and I can totally see that. It just, it, it makes their whole relationship really interesting. And mm-hmm. I love the contrast between those two. Yeah. And that she is so, so good, like socially. And even if she maybe doesn't think that she is, she, like verbally, she is gifted. <laughs> and I think it's one of the things that we really love about her. And, and I think it's one of the things that explains why Darcy's, uh, his character is so different, uh, depending on the context in which he's in. Sure. And when he's at Pemberley and he's in charge of everything. <laughs> and he has a routine. And, and he has he a does. routine and he can, like, he, <laughs> he can control his environment, knows the people that are around him. Then he's far more relaxed. And he's able to, you know, unbutton his shirt and stride across the the, the moors. Uh, but when he's, you know, at Bingley's ball, mm-hmm. he just is, he's a mess. Yeah. And he doesn't know how to, he just doesn't know how to talk to people. So yeah. this actually ties in really well with a back and forth on my Facebook feed from listener Thomas and listener Cabby and myself where we're talking about this. Thomas said it's not his favorite adaptation. He thinks uh, Keira Knightley's. And Elizabeth Bennett is too vicious and, um, in her snark, as, as kind of what I said. And, uh, Lister Cammy said, yeah, she's more witchy than witty <laughs> in this version. And I don't necessarily see it see that, that. Str- that strongly, but I, it is different than the Jennifer Ellie. Is that how we decided? Ely. To, Ely, Ely to pronounce that one. Uh, it is definitely a sharper edged, mm-hmm. um, to, to her, her barbs that she throws out, uh, than, than what we see in the, the 95 BBC one. But at the same time, I said, I think the Darcy in this one is more unlikable and distant than the mm-hmm. Colin Firth Darcy uh-huh. in, in that other version. So I think they kind of set them further apart on the poles of likability that sure. they have to overcome for each uh, other and, yeah. you know, settle in to, to that place. Uh, and, and so I see that. I, I don't think it's quite as extreme uh, that, that she's unlikable, uh, but she is definitely a little more harsh in some of her critiques of this and the way that they're, they're delivered by Knightley. But at the same time, I think this this uh Darcy, as we've said, is also like he is so uncomfortable <laughs> in the ball scenes and so incapable of having pleasant interactions with, with normal people. I, I think that also makes him a little more distant than what we get in the BBC. I feel like I, I feel like just this conversation has helped me to understand this Darcy better mm-hmm. because I mean even just last night as I watched this I was thinking, Man, he's such a horrible person at the beginning and, and now we have like 
horrible person becomes good person, mm-hmm. um, where I, I think it's easier for me to read it as extremely uncomfortable person who comes across as horrible person mm-hmm. becomes more comfortable person and, and more lovable. And you have to assume that in the future, when he has to go, you know, outside of Pemberley and stuff, she'll be there right. and she'll be there making witty conversation with people he doesn't know and kind of smoothing that all over. And so like, you know, going forward, as long as she's around, he's going to be a lot happier in social situations. Yeah. Let's see. Just want to make mention, Todd, were you amazed by how much hair the uh, Lizzie Jane had when it was let down versus when it was up in those scenes? Uh. It's, it's like, where did this hair come from? <laughs> like, when she has walked to Netherfield, like, her hair is going way down. But when it's up, it looks really tight. I don't understand how, where the hair goes. There's some sort of black hole at play at the back of uh, Karen Knightley's skull. Um, <laughs> uh, but speaking of the hair, one of the comments I did get from... Uh, I would say, I think she looks just fine. Pretty much every single shot of this <laughs> Um, listener, and so does Jane, by the way. <laughs> listener Megan had said that she has a friend who is an art and fashion historian and was annoyed at some of the wardrobe choices in this because Elizabeth wears pearls in her hair, which would be like three carat diamonds these days in the hair. And there's oh. no way the Bennets would have been able to afford pearls. So one of those things, like sometimes the more you know about something, the more frustrating little things <laughs> become. But if you don't know that, it doesn't bother yeah, you at all. I think I'm going to forget that. It's like, um, it's like area. any Regency era adaptation that has public kissing. Like, no, no. <laughs> or calling each other by your first name. No, yeah. <laughs> we don't do that. It would just be Mrs. Darcy. <laughs> well, Fitzwilliam. I mean, that's... I think I would go with Mr. Darcy, too. Well, well, no, I was talking about the end of the film where he goes <laughs> right, over right, Mrs. Darcy over like... and over. Um, listener Krista makes the point that the 2005 film, it's not terribly true to the book. We've already mentioned, mm-hmm. like, whole characters get cut out and the whole scenes get compressed. Um, but it makes it a better movie than something that has to be stretched out across, you know, a five-hour miniseries. Yeah. I always have that feeling when I when I see a film that's really compressed like this. Like, is this... Does this really work for people that... Don't already know the text. Either didn't already watch the big BBC version, one of the, the big BBC versions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or has read the book. Yeah. It's, it's not. I feel like it's like shorthand. Like I get, I get it because I'm familiar with the story right. and so I can appreciate what's going on. But I wonder if I wasn't familiar with that, if it would feel just super rushed. Or, or would another version of it feel super slow? Possibly. Yeah. This isn't the version I'd recommend to someone who wanted like a, a just a good by the book faithful adaptation. Right. I yeah. you know, I would No and, and even like I, I didn't realize how well I know some of the book, but like the proposal seemed like that's not how it goes. Mm-hmm. Like because like, they changed up a lot of the language. Yeah. I don't remember any order. I don't they like yeah. shouting at each other in the rain in a gazebo or something yes. like that. It's also. so good. <laughs> oh, man, that scene is <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> How wet do you think they had to be? Because I'm sure they had to do like 20 takes of this, oh, and it's pouring right on them. The rain's running down it's off their so nose. Beautiful. I love that scene. What if they Did got Jane summer Austen after? basically create the trope of they hate each other, then they love each other in this story? I don't know. I, I feel like she has to be one of the early people to do it. Do it sometime. Yeah. Oh, well, that's Beatrice yeah. and Benedict. Uh, Benedict. Yeah, yeah, Benedict right? so. But they, but they, but they have a history. Yeah. Try to think through what other. Play. I mean, that's it is it, even as you were describing their early relationship, and that like w- when you get to the question of when do they fall in love with each other, and that they're very interested <laughs> in each other very early on. There is a very like yeah. a, a Benedict and Beatrice yeah. kind of vibe going yeah. on between them. I think that they fall. I'm, I'm getting all the way back to my initial question. <laughs> I think that they fall in love with each other far earlier than they realize. Both of them. Well, so. that's always that's always how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, listener Leah uh, said that she loves the score. We've already talked about that, but she also makes a point that she loves Donald Sutherland as Mr. Bennett, and I think that does deserve a shout out. He's, <laughs> he's pretty good. He is a good Mr. Bennett. He's great, but I will point out that the Bennett marriage is much happier in this version than yeah. in a lot of other versions. And again, while I like that as a as like a stylistic choice, it undermines some other aspects of the story because part of the reason Lizzie is so reluctant to get married, part of the reason like the younger kids, the younger girls have kind of run wild is because the Bennett marriage is so dysfunctional. Yeah. So like fun to play around with, but again, not the canonical version and kind of falls apart if you think about it. All right. Uh, last uh, couple ones. Listener Carly mentions that um, she hasn't seen this and hasn't watched it in a while, but she remembers thinking that this Elizabeth was a little more wild and untamed and she liked that version from Keira Knightley. So after some people complained, there was one person uh, defending. I like Keira Knightley in this. I, 
I don't know if I even have a favorite Lizzie version because she's such a great character in the book, and I love all the adaptations of her that I've seen. So I don't I know. I think it's a great version of a great character. All right, the last one from listener Alana, um, and I think this is a, a good wrap up. Um, she says, "I hate this film. I cannot <laughs> believe." No. Um, she says, it's rather interesting that this is generally considered one of the greatest romances of all time when the focus on, uh, on familial relationships is actually so much at the forefront of the story. And in many ways, the, the reason Lizzie says yes to Darcy was because he's actually taking her family's needs into account, unlike his dismissal of them earlier. And Lizzie isn't ju- judging Darcy solely for himself anymore either, but for his family as well, because he's seen Georgiana. He's seen yeah. that relationship. And so seeing the family dynamics actually changes the way they interact with each other yeah. um, and, and that evolution there as well. Neither Darcy nor Lizzie like everyone in the new family, um, but they've accepted the annoyances in favor of the good parts, because now Lizzie is going to be related to Lady Catherine. That's, That's true. <laughs> yeah. So they both have some objectionable family members. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, listener Alana, and to everyone who chimed in on that Facebook post asking for some feedback. Wow. All right, my final thought, Lizzie Bennett is one of my favorite characters ever uh, of anything. My firstborn daughter is named Lizzie because of Lizzie Bennett. And if you've never engaged with this text, either in book form or an adaptation, you really should. It is so much better. It, again, if you just have the thought process for whatever reason of, you know, that's not for me, give it a try. Uh, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Agreed. I love different versions of the story, obviously, and this is one of the Pantheon that's really great. And you're going to go watch the 95 version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's your homework. <laughs> that's your homework. <laughs> Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter, at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. And Kirsten is at BYU underscore librarian. Very nice. And, uh... Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast, and we have had really great discussions about uh, these episodes, so feel free to chime in there. Let us know what you think. Uh, If you like the show and would like to support us financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or just show your appreciation for the show with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye. Mrs. Bennett is all a titter because you know, some new gentleman is in town and may want to marry one of her five daughters. Mr. I'm sorry. I will have oh to say God. that. <laughs> I can never think of Mrs. Bennett without saying, Mr. Bennett! Mr. Bingley! <laughs> it's like essentially all she does, though. I couldn't even stand on the other side of the room. <laughs> you blew out the audio. What the other waveform there? You I mean, exceeded like, the limits of the waveform on I mean, you guys have been doing that a lot, actually. Like, I was actually going to mention, like, if everyone could just... <laughs> okay. A little bit because I'm because sorry if there are children. You're all getting like right. <laughs> There are three of them and one in womb that maybe was sleeping. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, let me jump back. <laughs> <laughs>